G'day sports by Fry fans. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of the Sports by Fry podcast. I'm back here sitting solo on a Thursday recording the pod before we dive into another important round of fantasy footy. Top five is back. I'm going to be discussing a little bit of stuff to do with Dusty, March Madness prospects, Bruce Arians retiring this morning, which is very weird. And of course, Lance Franklin kicking his thousandth goal, which we kind of have given him a lot of uh, flowers and a lot of shout out over the last week or so, but the man deserves every mention of it. Then I'm going to dive into my rookies and cash cows piece that I did for the Dream Team Talk Boys. Talk about the guys who I think you should chase as trades, players you could potentially flick, and a couple of the state league numbers, just for those who are wondering who to keep on their watch list. Interesting trades approaching as round three gets closer, so I'm sure fantasy coaches will be eager to uh, dissect a couple of those tidbits. So without further ado, let me dive into today's episode. Rightio, let's get into the top five. We don't have the full teams for round three yet in the AFL, and there are some rumours swirling around the availability of one buddy, Lance Franklin. But first thing I want to chat about is what that man achieved last Friday night. Obviously, unless you've been living under a rock, every footy fan knows that Lance Franklin has become the sixth member of the 1000 Club. JLo and I touched on it earlier in the week on the other podcast. And there's a couple of interesting stats that I've dug out whilst uh, looking into Buddy's resume. So the sixth member of the Thousand Club, like I said, it's pretty rare air. And all the other guys that have done it in the past were either long flowing mullet blokes that kicked around in the 80s or fellas who none of us have really ever heard of or seen footage of. So Lance Franklin joins a pretty exclusive club. He's also kicked 700 points in his career, the third most of all time. He's got four Coleman's and he did manage to kick 88 points in one season, which was one off the all-time record set by Peter, Peter Sumich. He kicked those 88 points the same year that he brought up the 100 in a single season for Hawthorne. So that shows how dominant he was back in 2008. He kicked 11, goal, 11 points in one match alone. Two goals, 11 he finished with against the Bulldogs. And strangely, Buddy's never had 30 touches in a game, which I kind of thought was a strange uh, stat in his career you'd think that he was around the peel and get a couple of touches from now every now and then but take nothing away from what Lance Franklin did he's an elite elite footballer arguably the best player of our generation I don't know where the generational cutoff is if you count Gary Ablett in that but clearly the best forward and a rare talent we're definitely going to miss him when he does leave is this his last season he's looking all right there's talks of a contract extension but i can't see him kicking around for much longer past 2023 so enjoy lance franklin while you can item number two bruce arians has announced that he is retiring from coaching if you don't follow the nfl he is the tampa bay buccaneers coach or i should say was the tampa bay buccaneers coach same team that is now the proud owner of uh, a rejuvenated Tom Brady. Obviously, he retired earlier in the offseason, announced he's coming back. There were rumours swirling around Bruce Arians and Tom Brady having a bit of a clash. I mean, take it with a bit of grain of salt. I don't know how true or if there's any truth to those rumours and to those stories. But if that's the case, this is an interesting manoeuvre. Bruce Arians is stepping away from the sidelines, but will stay with the Bucks. He's going to move into a front office role. And defensive coordinator Todd Bowles is going to be promoted and he'll step up and be the new head coach for Tampa Bay. He's been a head coach before, coached the Jets for four full seasons and didn't really achieve a ton before. 
I don't think it changes a lot from a football standpoint, but it's interesting that once there was these rumours around Brady and Arians clashing and then Brady retired only to come back, now Bruce Arians has stepped away. I don't think he'll pull a Brady or an MJ and uh, announce that he's returning, especially to Tampa Bay sidelines. He might head coach again, who knows? But interesting move. I wonder if there'll be any ripple effects and if we'll see Todd Bowles and Tom Brady generate a bit more chemistry or if there'll be more clashes between the head coach, head coach of the Buccaneers and the famous QB under centre. Next up, item number three on the agenda. I want to give some credit to Marvin Bagley. Obviously, the bloke hasn't had the greatest NBA season of his career and hasn't had the greatest NBA career to date either. He was pretty much discarded by Sacramento. I can't remember the exact details of the trade that uh, saw him join the Detroit Pistons before the deadline, but he was pretty much given away for chump change. And you can't really blame the Kings. He didn't do a ton. He kind of there was always reports about how he was lacking energy and he wasn't really motivated. And there was one story that came out earlier in the season where Luke Walton told him to check in before Luke Walton was fired and Bagley just stayed in his sweats and said, Nope, not going in. So it is nice to see that now that he has joined the Pistons, a fresh start might be helping breed some life into his NBA career. If you exclude a random game against Cleveland, where he only took three shots and played about 12 or 13 minutes, He's actually scored double digits in his last 14 contests. He's averaging 17 and seven, and he generally looks more engaged and to be honest, looks happier, which is what you want to see from a young prospect. You tend to forget he was a number two pick, hasn't played like any years past, but there's certainly talent there. I remember watching him when he was playing with Duke and he looked like he was going to be the next scoring sensation at the forward position. Hasn't really got himself going in the NBA. And I think it was a safe gamble and a smart gamble from Detroit to try and pry him away from Sacramento and hope that he develops into something. But like I said, he was a second overall pick once upon a time. So he may emerge as an important piece in Detroit's future. Fourth thing on the list, speaking of draft prospects and the number two pick, I want to talk a little bit about the guys we can expect to see taken early out of college this year. March Madness is down to just four teams and one of the blokes still in action is expected to be a top three pick in Paolo Banquero from the Duke Blue Devils. He is actually a bit of a similar player to Marvin Bagley. Plays the power forward position a bit bigger, a bit smoother offensively, not as much as a traditional low post threat, but Banquero has shown consistently at times and then inconsistently as well that he has the talent to be a top three pick in the upcoming draft one thing that hasn't been mentioned a ton is the fact that he is playing with a lot of other draft prospects on duke's roster and you know they are doing a good job of sharing the rock but it's tough for him as a bloke that seems to thrive with the ball in his hands he's not a great spot up shooter yet could develop into that but as a guy who thrives as a scoring option with the ball in his hands, he's had to cede a little bit to some of his other teammates. Another bloke who could be drafted early in AJ Griffin, he looks like he's going to be a pretty talented cat out of Duke as well. So he's had to kind of find his mojo, which has interrupted some of his collegiate season, but he's got plenty of talent. And I think his name will be heard early on in the draft. I've probably got him a fraction behind Chet Holmgren as the potential number one pick. You don't know about Chet Holmgren. He's a seven-footer from Gonzaga who is quite raw in his in his build, if that makes sense. He doesn't seem like he's the type of bloke that would be taken number one overall. He is a bit, I don't want to throw this comp around, but his frame is a bit Giannis-y when Giannis first stepped into the league. Uh, a bit more handles, a bit sharper a shooter. I don't think he'll develop into the type of player that Giannis is, but 
got a very unique body and a very unique skill set, which would definitely tempt some franchises, especially the ones at the top of the draft pecking order. If an NBA team doesn't like either of those duo, they might be tempted to turn their attention towards Auburn's Jabari Smith. Now, Jabari Smith is someone that I probably haven't done a ton of digging into. I need to do a bit more draft research before I kind of give my hot takes on where I think he'll go and what I think he'll be like. But he's a pretty decent scorer. He's averaging nearly 17 points in the college in the college um, season. He's had 42% of his threes go down. And he's played on a team that doesn't have great guards and they've kind of dictated terms a bit. He hasn't had the rock in his hands a lot. So there's three very interesting prospects at the top of the pecking order. Jaden Ivey is another name who was mentioned in that contention for the number one pick and could still emerge as a threat to take out that title as the mock season and the NBA draft season starts to build up hype when the NBA season finishes and we get the lottery results, et cetera. I'm going to drop a NBA mock draft as soon as the season finishes for the teams that are in the lottery. And then I'll probably drop another one once the lottery has concluded. So there's some talent at the top of the pecking order in this year's draft. And I'll be very excited to a do a bit of research and see who I think is the best player in that pool of talent, but also to see who lands where, because as we know, Sometimes talent will dictate how far a player can go, but the landing spot, just like Marvin Bagley, can also dictate a lot of how successful that player is in the pros. Final thing I'm going to discuss is Dustin Martin. Now, it doesn't sound like there's anyone throwing a bit of shade or hate towards Dusty, who at the moment is on leave from the Tigers, and all of us are kind of shrugging our shoulders as footy fans, even Dimmer Hardwick is really, as to when slash if Dusty's going to return. But I really hope for his sake, we stop talking about him. And what I mean by that is obviously the bloke is struggling at the moment. He's had his father pass away in December. He got pretty banged up late last year. So he's had a pretty rough six or so months. So I get that the media is just doing their job. I saw there was a Damien Hardwick interview with um, Mark Robinson earlier this week and that Jack Rewalt's been asked questions as well. And both of them have kind of asked to give Dusty privacy so I get the media is just doing their job and they want to know if there is any potential truth to the rumours of Dusty retiring or Dusty stepping away from the game. But I don't think we need to worry about that at the moment. I think what we really need to do is just leave the bloke alone. So I know I'm kind of uh, contradicting myself by talking about him on the podcast, but I hope that Dusty is able to deal with the issues that he's got and return to the footy field before too long. But most importantly, I hope that he stops becoming a talking point in AFL footy circles. Rightio, speaking of AFL footy circles, I want to turn my attention towards some fantasy stuff before I wrap up today's pod. Now, as you all know, I am the rookie slash cash cows expert on the Dream Team Talk site for the AFL Trader Boys. And I think I'm pretty happy with how I've nailed most of my rookie picks. And there's a couple of coaches who will be looking to patch up some of their red dots on their bench and get some of those must-have rookies in their first couple of trades to commence the year. So I'm going to work through each line and kind of talk about the players who I think you could target and the players who I think you could chop. And I'll kind of turn this into a a featured uh, piece of a podcast in rounds moving forward. So starting down in defense, I think Paddy McCartan is the best option at the moment. There's not a ton down the back line that really excites me from a fantasy prospect at the minute. There are a couple of mid prices that are generating fifties and sixties with the likes of Answorth and Miller, but I'm really going to focus on some of the basement type blokes in these type of discussions. So McCartan started the season price pretty reasonably, and there'll be a lot of coaches that will have him sitting in D5 or D6 at the moment. 
other than that, I don't know if there's any other defenders that I feel too safe endorsing people to put onto their fields. Joel Smith from uh, the Demons, he scored back-to-back 49s. So he's an okay cash cow and someone that might just be a, well, I don't want to say a safe 50, but might get your consistent 50s. Uh, Sam Skinner and Josh Sin, the two Port Adelaide blokes, they didn't really hit the ground running in their AFL debuts, or they're sorry, their Port Adelaide debuts, because Skinner's played for the Lions before, but hopefully they can tick that scoring up into the 50-60 mark. Josh Sin is the other one who I don't know if I can endorse as a scorer. He seems to be cut from a similar cloth as Naziah Wanganin Malira. Both blokes who can kind of break lines and have really flashy skills and are exciting potential footballers. But I do wonder about how much of the pill they're going to accumulate and if they can score well for fantasy coaches. If you can't get to anything decent and you want to trade out someone like Josh Gipkus, who scored another 38 on the weekend, it's risky. But I might be tempted to go down to someone like a Skinner, like a Sam DeConing if he comes back. Maybe even Jake Stein, if he gets named for the Giants. He is a 190K bloke who scored 119 on the weekend in the VFL. Obviously, Phil Davis has hurt his hamstring, so there could be a spot in GWS's backline open up for him. Nathan O'Driscoll, another one. He was the sub for the Dockers on the weekend, but his inflated break-even because of scoring just 11 points does concern me a bit as well. So there are tough times if you've got one of those other aforementioned blokes not named Paddy McCartan on your field. There are, you know, another 20-ish rounds of fantasy footy to go. So it's not panic stations just yet, but I would prioritise trying to generate some cash with another trade by trading someone else down, cashing in another rookie if someone else's basement price gets named, and then using that cash to try and drop on top of one of those other blokes. Wangani Malira could be a solid scorer, but I think he'll be hit and miss. Sam Skinner, I did have high hopes for him, but not so much. Josh Sin, I don't think he'll get it done, so... There are some people going down those routes and chasing a few others. And if you can't do anything else, you know, there's worse things than fielding one of them for a week or two. But I would make that my priority if you have that issue arise. In the midfield, it's pretty straightforward. Nick Dacos and Horn Francis don't really need to be discussed. Those people have got Josh Ward on their field, should feel pretty comfortable. I think he'll probably fall somewhere in between what he did in round one and round two, an average right around a 60 mark. He gets a lot of the pill had... 20 touches last week, 15 of them were kicks, which fantasy coaches love to see, but don't be surprised if he scores another 40 or 50 in the near future. His draft peer and Hawks teammate, Connor McDonald, is another handy cash cow at the moment. Scored a healthy 66 on the weekend, and I'm hoping that he's starting to entrench himself in that Hawks outfit. Those four really are the clear-cut top four in the midfield group. And if you don't have any of them, I could see why you'd want to be chasing them. But I'm sure most coaches listening to this have at least Dacos and Horn Francis in their team. Highly likely you got Ward as well. After that, like I said, there is a bit of a drop-off. Cooper Stevens is one to keep an eye on in case he gets a game for the Cats. Can't see it happening in the near future. Did have 64 points and 20 touches in the VFL on the weekend. Another bloke who might bob up for a game from Geelong is Mitch or... Nevitt, I can't remember how to pronounce his last name. Sorry, Mitchy boy, but he had uh, 98 points from 21 touches, seven marks and seven tackles. So that was encouraging. Ben Hobbs is an interesting one to monitor. He is priced at 266K, the Essendon first round draft pick. But now that Zach Merritt's gone down, we might see him earn a gig. Had 78 points from 19 touches and he's put his hand up as a new potential cog in that midfield rotation. I don't know if I love the idea of playing him on your field, but 
if you've got nothing else to do and you want to try and, like I said, generate some money elsewhere, you might want to try and pounce on Hobbsy. I think it's wise to just see how he goes for a week first. Finn Callahan out of GWS, he was the number three overall pick. I don't know if he's going to be able to crack the Giants rotation too soon, but he did have a huge day out with 34 touches and 115 fantasy points for the Giants. So he's definitely a name to remember as the season progresses. Neil Erasmus, another one, don't have the exact numbers, but apparently he lit up a recent waffle practice match. He might be shaking up as a smoky debutante for the Dockers in the Derby this weekend. I'd much rather get a look at him at the AFL level before I pounce on him, but you never know. He might emerge. I think it's smart if he plays a couple of waffle games first from a Frio standpoint, but he might emerge as a handy cash cow if they keep getting games into him. Speaking of waffle prospects, we saw Aaron Black, Declan Mountford, and a couple of other uh, people that some may consider no names uh, get their chance to play AFL footy for West Coast last week. I don't think it's wise trading in really any of them, even the likes of Brady Hoff, who we've saw kind of bounce in and out of the team. I don't know if I like a lot of the West Coast cash cows. I'll talk about one or two of them a bit later in the forward section, but those midfield blokes, even though they did put up handy numbers against North, I can't see them playing more than two or three games, even if they uh, manage to somehow stay in the lineup moving forward. Staying in the lineup has been tricky for Jackson Mead and Jake Saligo as well. Both of them were used as the sub and could be sitting on the bench for coaches. So if they don that same role again, there's nothing wrong with chopping them out and trying to replace them with something else. And Harry Sharp, you could throw into that same boat after he gathered just two touches in 70% of the game for the Lions. So not what you want to endorse. Jack Hayes moving into the rucks is a pretty popular on-field option for coaches. And by the time you listen to this, you might know if he's merely just been a Paddy Ryder replacement or if he has been able to entrench himself in that side. He fuels his score with a pretty wide variety of stats. He gets disposals, hitouts, marks, tackles. So I've got both fingers, actually all 10 of them, crossed, hoping that Jack Hayes can keep featuring in the St Kilda lineup and get some fantasy points for us and keep generating some of that cash. But if he's on your field, I'd want to have a contingency plan in place because there's a very likely possibility that with Ryder back in, he plays as a key forward and his scoring suffers or worst case scenario, he's left out of the lineup altogether. Luckily, there are a couple of other forward options if he's in your forward line. Nick Martin should return this week, which is fantastic news for coaches that invested in him. Josh Rochelle is obviously a stud who's on the ground at F4, 5, 6 for most coaches. Tristan Cherry's put his hand up as North Melbourne's new lead ruckman. Interestingly, he outpaced Goldstein in ruck contests 51 to 30 last week, and I can't see that regressing over the season. Goldie hasn't really shown a lot as a forward, so he might get dropped, and Callum Coleman-Jones might come and eat into some of Cherry's workload, but he does look great, scored a 92 over the weekend, and I can't argue with coaches who want to put him onto the field. Hugo Ralph-Smith, he burst onto the scene with his 67 after freeing himself from the shackles of the Medi sub vest uh, last week. 277K, he'll set you back, which is a lot for a player that you might put on your bench. But if there's nothing else that you've got in your trade plans and you've got a red dot there and you've got the cash to facilitate that move, I do like the idea of adding Ralph Smith. Expect a couple of 40s and 50s along the way, but he should serve his job as a cash cow. A couple of West Coast Eagles are emerging as handy cash cows as well in the form of Willie Rioli, and Patrick Nash. I don't know how high I am on either of those two, considering the fact that they played in a skeleton West Coast lineup 
And I do think that some of the scoring numbers that they had will drop back down to earth. But I like the idea of putting Willy Rioli into your forward line. There's a couple of coaches that talked me into that idea over the preseason, and I endorsed that move. Naish, I don't know why, but I'm a little bit scared off at the prospect of having him. A, he's only sitting in 2.8% of teams. B, he did play North last week for his 90 points. So I want to really see how he looks and fits alongside some of those gun West Coast players before I hype him up. The fact that he's nearly 400K as well probably means we've missed the boat. I wouldn't want to go chopping a premium player or someone like Will Brody down to him to try and make money. So if you do have him, kudos and let's see how he develops. But I think, again, he'll probably regress to about a 65, 70 or so average, which is handy, but probably not someone you want to be chasing. Willie Rioli usually needs some goals to fuel his uh, healthy fantasy scores as well. Scored 85 on the weekend. But again, priced at about 350K, you probably don't want to be trading him in at the moment. A couple of other forwards, just quickly to mention, Corey Durden, he stunk last week against the Bulldogs and might find himself chopped. And if that's the case, he'll be a popular trade-out candidate. Only has a break-even of 15, but if you can do another move that helps free up a spot or get you another green dot, i definitely give that the tick of approval. Tyson Stengel, he had his massive 100 and then regress to the norm a bit with a 21. So if you meet halfway in the middle, that's about an average of 60-odd. I reckon he'll be less than that, to be honest. I reckon he'll average in the 50s or 40s. So, again, his 362K at the moment, probably not worth investing in and probably worth looking at getting rid of if you do have him in your side. Elijah Hollands was a popular preseason pick for a lot of people. He had 20 touches, six marks and six tackles for 84 points in the VFL. So hopefully we can see him string some consistent games together and then get promoted into the senior side. Please not as a sub. I'm fucking over seeing people promoted for their debut, quote unquote, and then ending up in the sub vest. So none of that. Let's step that out, AFL sides. Kane Baldwin probably sitting on a lot of people's bench. He kicked three snags in the VFL, lost to Geelong. I don't know if he'll make his way back into the team, but if that is... The case he's another handy green dot so watch that space but there's not a lot of other basement price rookies breaking through at the moment which does complicate a couple of trades for coaches my trades at the moment i think i'm going to flip justin McInerney probably to hayden young there's no one i love in that mid price defender bracket i've got george hewitt i've got james sicily foley he managed to score 74 on the weekend but 47 of those points came from one quarter so you know, you take away that and his score doesn't look fantastic. Miller and Answorth, blokes I mentioned earlier, another solid options. But I think I'll back Hayden Young in to at least produce some scores in above the 75 mark moving forwards. With my second trade, I think I'm going to try and get Jack Hayes out of my R3 slot. And to do that, I'll trade out Corey Durden, flick him down, and then bring in Sam Hayes from Port Adelaide, who might not feature soon might not feature at all this year let's be honest but either way that helps kind of shuffle a couple of bench pieces around for me and does potentially give me a handy loophole captain option as well speaking of that vcs tonight i'm going to be throwing it on josh dunkley i reckon there's big things coming from josh dunkley he's due for one of those 10 marks or 10 tackles and 125 type games so hopefully uh mccray doesn't go 170 this week on me Last thing of this podcast, I want to talk about those people who have Max Gorn or Brody Grundy or both as their starting 
Ruckman. I think at this point, you've still got to back in the credentials of those stars. I can see the idea and the appeal of chopping Gorn down to English or dissecting another fancy trade and turning Brody Grundy into Proust and using the shitload of that money to do something else. And there is merit in doing it, but we're only two weeks into the season. I know that Luke Jackson looks like he's having a bit of a coming out party for the Ds. So I can understand why coaches are frustrated and they want to give Gorney the flick. But the bloke is still a premier ruckman in the competition. And I think he'll show that before too long. Brody Grundy, he hasn't obviously hit the ground running either. He hasn't had the same appetite for the footy lately that we've known from years past. But those two are still the two best ruckmen from a fantasy standpoint in the game. So I think it's wise to hold on to them, even though they have high break evens and they're bleeding cash. If you flick them out, you're probably going to want to get them again later in the season, right? So there's not a ton of justification in my eyes of getting rid of them. I think what you should try and target your trades toward at this point of the year is fixing up those red dots. Players that I've mentioned already, like Saligo, like Machido Owens, if you're still stuck with him. If somehow we see uh, Sam DeConning not get up and another defender emerges, Josh Gipkis, who's probably almost maxed out as a cash cow. Those type of players who on your bench aren't really serving their purpose as cash cows, I think, are the ones you need to focus on with your early trades. That way you can keep generating cash across the board and you don't get caught shuffling too many pieces. I think, touch wood, fantasy coaches have been pretty lucky so far this year with not too many forced trades. So if that's the case, like if you don't have a Nick Martin, get him while you can. If you don't have Josh Rochelle or Tristan Cherry, get him while they can because they're still going to keep going up. And they're still going to serve their purpose as cash cows. And as we all know, cash is key in fantasy. So if you can have those players rise in value and then either axe them and use that cash for another upgrade or throw some money on top of them to turn them into a premium that you're chasing, I think that's the smart tactic to go down as your early trades start to develop. Rightio, that's all I've got for this pod. Thanks for tuning in. Bit of a pause on the uh, JLo episodes Monday night. The bloke's going to Melbourne selfishly. On Monday, it's actually his birthday on Sunday. So, Sportsby fans, make sure you wish you, uh, JLo a happy birthday. But he and I will probably sit down and do a podcast at some point next week. I might just be flying solo again on Monday. But good luck to all the fantasy coaches this weekend. Thanks for tuning in. Till next time, chippy witty. <laughs>